You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Week 8 edition of Falato on Football here on the Big Blue View Radio Network. I am your host, Nicholas Falato, and we're about to dive into this Week 8 slate of games. Sadly, there was no New York Giants game on Sunday. They are playing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, hosting them on Monday Night Football, the second straight week watching the New York Giants in primetime. Oh, joy to the NFL. But the Week 8 slate actually had some interesting games. There were some upsets. You had the Cincinnati Bengals hosting the once 5-1 and one Tennessee Titans, now 5-2 and two Tennessee Titans, and beating them, the Bengals that is, 31-20. to 20. The Bengals were able, Joe Burrow and company was able to out-scheme and out-play the Tennessee Titans, and they just lost their second consecutive game. You also had another upset down in Miami and Dade County. The Miami Dolphins beat the Los Angeles Rams 28-17. to 17. That one was much more predictable, in my opinion my survivor pools and things of that nature i actually selected miami and took them because the way i looked at it was the rams were on a short week they played monday night football against a hard team in chicago in los angeles and then they had to fly on a short week for a one o'clock start in miami that's a setup for disaster but it wasn't even necessarily just that because miami's special teams and defense coming off of a bye week just absolutely dominated the Rams. The Rams got a bunch of garbage points late in the game, but we'll go over that game in a little bit. Since we do not have any Giants, we won't be going on my giant monologues that I love to do. So we're going to dive right into the New England Patriots and the Buffalo Bills. The 6-2 and two now, Buffalo Bills were able to beat the 2-5 and five now, New England Patriots 24-21 to at Ralph Wilson Stadium. Josh Allen didn't necessarily have to do much. There were several games this week that had terrible weather, 20-plus mile-per-hour winds, sometimes getting up to 35 to 40, cold, just muggy, wet kind of weather. This game wasn't necessarily all that wet, but it was very windy. And Josh Allen goes 11 of 18 for 154 yards. He threw one interception, but it was Zach Moss getting it done on the ground. And Devin Singletary and him split carries. They each had 14 carries. Singletary at 86 yards, Moss at 81 but Moss fell into the end zone twice, so that means his fantasy points are obviously much better than Devin Singletary's. But this game was kind of a back-and-forth affair. Buffalo scored a touchdown early. New England was able to kind of inch its way back into the game, and then by the fourth quarter, Buffalo scored 10 points. New England scored 7, and they were driving at the end of the game. Cam Newton looked better in this game. They were driving, and then Cam Newton fumbled the football on a quarterback-off-tackle type of run. That resulted in the Buffalo Bills getting the ball back in New England because it was about 35 seconds left in the game. Didn't have a chance. So this game could have been a New England win. It was closer than expected, but it ends up being Buffalo Bills because of that Cam Newton fumble. Cam Newton finished the game 15 of 25 for 174 yards, and it was Damian Harris who really had himself a very nice game on the road with this beat-up offensive line. He had 16 carries for 102 yards and a touchdown. Between him and Cam Newton, the New England Patriots were able to formulate a pretty solid 
attack on the ground. As for the receivers, as we know, Julian Edelman is out. He just had a knee surgery because he had bone on bone in his knee. So it was Demir Bird and Jacoby Myers. Jacoby Myers had 10 targets in this game, 6 for 58. Demir Bird had 3 receptions for 39 yards. And other than that, there wasn't much going on in the New England receiving game. So it was just one of those games, division battles, where it came down to the wire. The Patriots end up coughing it up. Unfortunate for them, but Buffalo ends up getting that win. And it looks like they hold themselves in a firm position in first place in the AFC East. As for Buffalo receivers, since I haven't touched on it, it was basically just Stephon Diggs. Nine targets, six receptions, 92 yards. But let's dive into another AFC East team. The Miami Dolphins, a team that does not exactly have that high of expectations, ascend to four and three over the Los Angeles Rams, who are five and three. Who would have thought both these teams would have similar records right now? And this was Tua Tungavailoa's first start in the NFL. And by looking at the score, you'd think he had this fantastic type of game. And I'm not saying he had a bad game by any stretch of the imagination, but it was just 12 of 22 for 93 yards passing and one touchdown. Didn't really do anything on the ground because it was all the defense and the special teams. As I said before, Jakeem Grant had a punt return for a touchdown in this game and then the defense were able was able to intercept Jared Goff two times returning one of them for a touchdown and it was just that Brian Flores coach defense all over the Sean McVay coached offense and again with all the travel the short week everything that I talked about about five minutes ago take all that into context and it was the Miami Dolphins that were able to get this win there was just really nothing the Rams could establish on the ground. They attempted to. Daryl Henderson had a couple nice runs, but they couldn't necessarily establish themselves, especially since they had those turnovers early on in the game. It was that pass rush that was also able to just be all over Jared Goff. I mean, they had Van Ginkle, the kid from Wisconsin a couple years ago. He ended up returning a fumble for a touchdown in this game too. So it was just a great game by the Miami Dolphins defense and special teams. And as for the Miami Dolphins receiving, if we're looking to see what kind of trends Tua is setting for the Dolphins, it doesn't really seem like he had any primary target. He targeted Preston Williams five times. And other than that, it was a bunch of players just getting two targets here, one target there. And then Miles Gaskin out of the backfield received six targets. As for Los Angeles is receiving, a little bit of a different story. Cooper Cup, who hasn't done all that much in recent weeks because the Rams haven't really needed him to because they've been up and they're not going to throw the football in the fourth quarter when they're up. They're going to run the ball with Daryl Henderson, Malcolm Brown, Cam Akers, etc. Cooper Cup got 21 targets. Yes, I'm not misspeaking here. He had 21 targets in this game. You knew they were going to target Nick Needham, the slot cornerback for the Miami Dolphins. You knew they were going to attack the middle of the field because they have... Byron Jones, and Xavier Howard at cornerback, the Miami Dolphins, that is. So Cooper Cup finishes his game with 11 receptions for 110 yards. Doesn't get in the end zone, but he has 21 targets, and that is great for him. And that is what you want to see, because he had six targets last week, seven targets the week before, somewhere around that. But it was Robert Woods in this game who gets a receiving touchdown and an end around for a touchdown. So Robert Woods had eight targets on this game, caught seven of them for 85 yards, two touchdowns, one on the ground, one through the air and the Rams just couldn't get over the hump Miami scored 21 points in the second quarter just another disappointing loss for the Los Angeles Rams after winning in prime time against a Chicago Bears team that we'll get into in a little bit but the Rams you want to see better play from them from their offense that's supposed to be their identity 
You haven't necessarily saw that. Their defense early on was able to force Tua into a fumble. Aaron Donald busted through the center and the guard and sacked Tua. Tua ended up fumbling the football. Looked like it was going to be a really long day for the Miami Dolphins. Didn't turn out to be all that long. Moving on to the battle of the AFC North, the Baltimore Ravens hosting the Pittsburgh Steelers, and the Steelers were able to eke out this victory 28-24, to came down to the wire. This was just a back-and-forth defensive game where the defenses were just kept either forcing turnovers or sacking the quarterbacks, especially the Pittsburgh Steelers defense, which rose to the occasion, forced Lamar Jackson into two interceptions, forced a couple fumbles as well. T.J. Watt, Bud Dupree, that defense just in general is incredibly effective and just a defense that you never want to see on your schedule. And sadly for the Baltimore Ravens, they'll have to play the Steelers here in a couple of weeks. But the Ravens fall to 5-2. and two. Steelers ascend to 7-0. Lamar Jackson was 13-28 of 28 for 208. Two touchdowns, two interceptions, was sacked four times, rushed for 65 yards on 16 attempts. This was one of those games that had pretty poor weather. Since Mark Ingram was not healthy for this game, probably won't be healthy next week against Indianapolis either. It was J.K. Dobbins and it was Gus Edwards that were the two-headed one-two punch for this rushing attack along with Lamar Jackson. J.K. Dobbins had 15 carries for 113 yards in this game. That's 7.5 yards per carry. And Gus Edwards, 16 for 87, had 5.4 yards per carry. This pretty good against Pittsburgh Steelers rush defense. That is really, really effective. Very, very stout at the point of attack, even though they do not have Devin Bush anymore, who suffered an injury, I think it was last week, which is incredibly unfortunate. But the Steelers were still able to rise to the occasion here. And as for the Baltimore Ravens receiving attacks, it was Willie Sneed who had 5 for 106 on 7 targets. Mark Andrews had 6 targets, 3 for 32. Miles Boinkin and Marquise Brown were the recipients of the touchdown. Brown, that was his only catch in the game. It was only for three yards, which is a disappointment for a lot of people because bye weeks forced a lot of people to start the unreliable Marquise Brown against a pretty good Pittsburgh Steelers secondary, even though they have given up some big games this season. Let's not forget what Darius Slayton did to them. Two touchdowns in week one. But the Pittsburgh Steelers, they tried to run the football, didn't do a great job, but James Conner still fell into the end zone. 15 for 47 with an 18-yard long, so he was getting stuffed by that Baltimore Ravens front. But every time I flipped on red zone and I tuned into this Pittsburgh Steelers game, it was the Steelers throwing the football. And that led to Chase Claypool having nine targets. Juju Smith-Schuster having eight targets. He's starting to get implemented more and more into the game plan, something that you'd love to see. Eric Ebron having five targets. Deontay Johnson only had three. Caught one for six yards. Raymond McLeod, he was used as well. He had one target, caught it, six yards. But it was Chase Claypool, 5 for 42, Eric Ebron, 4 for 48, and Juju Smith-Schuster, 7 for 67 in this game as they methodically moved the football down the field to get themselves into scoring range. Ben Roethlisberger was not having that great of a game until the third quarter. And then in the fourth quarter, also had another touchdown. But it was the defense. It was Pittsburgh's defense that was able to Rise to the occasion and score a touchdown as well. Robert Spillaney had a touchdown against the Ravens in this game. That's what you want to see from a Pittsburgh team. A 7-0 undefeated Pittsburgh team. The only undefeated team left in the National Football League. Now, 
I'm Pittsburgh, and I'm a Pittsburgh fan. I'm trying to get home field advantage. Because trying to beat Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs is not going to be an easy task. Even trying to beat the Ravens for a third time if they see them in the playoffs, that won't be an easy task if they do beat them at home here in a couple weeks. But they just went into Baltimore and beat Lamar Jackson and Harbaugh and this rushing attack and that defense while they were coming off of a bye week. Good job, Mike Tomlin. You've earned it. That's a, that's a well-coached team, man. That's a disciplined team. That's a hard-nosed team. That's why you got to love the Pittsburgh Steelers every now and again. Because they were able to force Lamar Jackson into several mistakes. They were able to win despite possessing the ball almost 10 minutes less than Baltimore, despite having over 200 less yards of offense. But they forced mistakes, and that's all you have to do. Then we had the Titans and the Bengals. Touched on this a little bit in the beginning. Joe Burrow was able to lead his team to a victory against a very good Tennessee Titans team that now is 5-2. Cincinnati is 2-5-1. Joe Burrow threw the ball 37 times, as he usually does. He throws the ball the most of anybody in the National Football League. Had 26 completions for 249, two touchdowns. One of them was to Tyler Boyd. The other one was to Giovanni Bernard, who also had one on the ground. He was 15 for 62. One touchdown on the ground. Samaj P. Ryan was 10 for 32. One touchdown on the ground. And then it was T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd, and Auden Tate. Nine targets, seven and seven respectively. And A.J. Green had five. He only caught two for 19. Big disappointment against Malcolm Butler and this Tennessee Titans team that have kind of been given points away. And Tyler Boyd, he just continues to be one of the most underrated wide receivers in the National Football League and Fantasy Football League. Six for 67 and a touchdown. T. Higgins establishing himself. He's one of the best young receivers in this league, especially rookie receivers, because he was in that draft with Henry Ruggs, who was a first-round pick, Jerry Judy, who was a first-round pick, and I think Jerry Judy, talent-wise, is probably better than T. Higgins, despite the fact that he drops the ball all the time, but T. Higgins has been very, very productive, and he definitely has a rapport with Joe Burrow. Can't really write the kid off. He just can't, and Auden Tate did not see him coming out of left field and making his presence known in this game, but he did. Caught all seven of his targets. It's a lot of good things to say about that Cincinnati passing attack with four starting offensive linemen out, including Jonah Williams, their best offensive lineman, because their offensive line is bad. And they were still able to beat the Tennessee Titans. Whew. That's what you like to see. That's what you like to see from a young team like that. As for the Tennessee Titans, Ryan Tannehill couldn't get much going. 18 of 30 for 233 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. A lot of that came in the fourth quarter when Tennessee scored 13 points. They only had seven points prior to that. Derrick Henry, 18 carries for 112 yards and a touchdown. Corey Davis, 8 for 128 in a tutty on 10 targets. So Corey Davis is really establishing himself as that number one. Teams are really trying to scheme to take away A.J. Brown. He had seven targets, four for 24 and a touchdown in this game. But A.J. Brown, I mean, everyone gives D.K. Metcalf all the love in the world, and he deserves it because he is freaking awesome. But A.J. Brown is an incredibly talented second-year wide receiver. Both come from Ole Miss, both gigantic. But I think a really cool underlying storyline of this game was Deontay Foreman, who received five carries in this game, had a really nice 15-yard run. He was 5 for 37 on this game behind Derrick Henry. And for those of you who do not know Deontay Foreman, he went to the University of Texas, was drafted in the second round by the Texans, ended up suffering a terrible knee injury. I want to say it was two years ago. We haven't seen him since. Tennessee brought him in. They had the expanded practice squad because of COVID, and now he's seeing the field because Darrington Evans has been injured, and 
they need to spell Derrick Henry with somebody. And Jeremy McNichols is also getting in on the game as well. But I think that's a cool storyline for him. And it's good to see him back in the league. It's great for him. But Tennessee drops to 5-2 and two after, before they played the Steelers last week, they were undefeated. It's how the NFL, man, it comes at you fast. And now they get to host the Bears, and then they host the Colts, and then they're at the Ravens, and then they're at the Colts. Those aren't easy games. And I know the Bears, they're a team with a really good record. They're kind of frauds just because their quarterback position is such a liability. But then you have the Colts twice. Again, they don't really have a great quarterback position, but they have a great defense. They're a well-coached team. Then you have the Ravens who are the Ravens. you got to go to the Ravens. Tennessee's schedule gets pretty tough here in the next coming weeks, especially when it comes to their offense versus their defense. But moving on from the Titans and Bengals, I want to dive into the Raiders and the Browns. Now, this was a gross game in terms of the weather. It was very, very wet. It was very, very rainy. And Baker Mayfield and Derek Carr couldn't really get much going. Baker Mayfield had 122 passing yards. Derek Carr had 112. Derek Carr had a touchdown. Baker Mayfield did not. This was a battle of, we're just going to try to run the football and see what happens. And Josh Jacobs had 31 carries for 128 yards. Failed to get in the end zone despite having three chances at the goal line. Very, very disappointing. Good on Cleveland's rush defense to hold him out. Kareem Hunt, 14 carries for 66 yards. And he only had two receptions for seven. So kind of a disappointment. But there just couldn't be a lot of downfield passing in this game because it was hard to throw downfield. There were no passes over 20 yards. The deepest pass in terms of, well, I guess Jarvis Landry had a 25-yard reception. So there was that. But other than that, the deepest pass in terms of reception was Devontae Booker, but that was also a yak from the Raiders. So it was just one of those ugly games, and it's not really great for everybody who says, hey, the Cleveland Browns, you know, without Odell Beckham Jr., they're going to be good. They're going to be better. And it didn't look like that in this game. And yes, the weather plays some sort of role in that, of course. The Browns couldn't get anything established, and they dropped the 5-3. and three. Raiders, 4-3. and three. Raiders are 3-1 and one on the road, by the way. Good for them. That Cleveland defense just couldn't get off the field. Las Vegas had the ball 37 minutes to 22 minutes for Cleveland. And Las Vegas outgained them 309 to 223. So John Gruden and company get another win. No one's talking about them as a team that's really going to make the playoffs or anything like that in the AFC. It's a little bit stacked, but they keep squeaking out these wins. They keep squeaking them out. And they get the Chargers at the Chargers next week. And they get to play the Broncos at home and then the Chiefs. And they get the Falcons and the Jets, both road games, both East Coast trips. Those are going to be defining games for them. Games that are very winnable for the Raiders. But both on the road. It's a lot of traveling in a week. But we'll see. All right, before we get to the Jets and Chiefs and the rest of this slate, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's pretty funny, actually. The Jets were able to hang in this game and make the score look respectable at halftime. I know it's kind of hard to believe, but it was 9-21 to at halftime. I mean, no one thought the Jets were going to win because they're the New York Jets and they're 0-8 right now. But the Chiefs end up blowing them out 35-9, to covering the 20-point spread. 
But hey, at halftime, they were able to hold him. The Chiefs barely possessed the ball more than the Jets. The Jets really tried to have one of those kinds of drives that you possess the football, you get three to four yards here and there. It's a smart way to attack the Chiefs. It's the way the Chargers tried to beat the Chiefs earlier on in the season. It's the way the Raiders tried to beat the Chiefs. It's the way you try to beat the Chiefs. Well, the Raiders actually were successful in beating the Chiefs, so I should rephrase that. Michael P. Ryan on this game had eight carries. Frank Gore, 10. Ty Johnson had three. They were just getting these guys in. But the Jets have no match, obviously. Sam Darnold was 18 for 30. No touchdowns, no interceptions. Braxton Berrios had 11 targets, 8 for 34. Denzel Mims, 3 targets, 2 for 42. Jeff Smith, 8 targets, 3 for 29. It's just a dysfunctional offense. It's really not a lot to touch on there. There's, at this point, I mean, obviously, they're not necessarily, Adam Gase isn't at least, tanking for Tua, but, or Tua, wow, tanking for Trevor, I should say. It's just insert the next T name, it seems like. But Trevor, Trevor Lawrence might be a New York Jet next year if he doesn't come out of school, which is kind of crazy to think about having Trevor Lawrence in New York City, not as a Giant, but as a Jet, see if he can actually turn that franchise around. But the Kansas City Chiefs, Pat Mahomes, just ridiculous, 31-42, 4-16, five touchdowns, just airing it out. Had a deep touchdown to Tyreek Hill. Had another deep touchdown to Tyreek Hill. Had a little push pass to Nicole Hardman that was ended up being a touchdown. Demarcus Robinson ends up getting a touchdown. Travis Kelsey ends up getting a touchdown. Kelsey had 12 targets, 8 for 109 and 1. Tyreek Hill, 6 targets, 4 for 98 and 2. Nicole Hardman, 9 targets, 7 for 96 and 1. And he hadn't really done that much leading up to this. Honestly, I thought this was going to be big revenge narrative street for Le'Veon Bell. He only received 6 carries in this game. And he got 7 yards on it. They were clamping down on Le'Veon Bell. He had three receptions for 31 yards on three targets as well. But he didn't really get much going. Clyde Edwards-Alaire neither. He only had six carries for 21 yards. They were just airing the ball out and attacking the secondary because they can. So why not? You have Pat Mahomes. It's the New York Jets. You have Tyreek Hill. You have Demarcus Robinson. You have Michael Hartman. So attack it. And that's what they did. The Kansas City Chiefs were able to win the football game. Easy enough for them. Then we had the Colts and the Lions. This was a unique game in my estimation, just because the Colts and Phillip Rivers, by halftime, Phillip Rivers had 191 yards passing and three touchdowns. It's like, what's going on with Phillip Rivers right now? And they were to Naheem Hines and players like that. Naheem Hines had two receiving touchdowns in this game. Jack Doyle had one. Jordan Wilkins had a touchdown on the ground. But what about Jonathan Taylor? Nothing. Jordan Wilkins had 20 carries in this game for 89 yards in that tutty. Jonathan Taylor had 11 for 22. Couldn't get anything going. He had two catches for nine yards. Hope that ends up getting flipped because Jonathan Taylor is a very, very good athlete. A very, very good football player. At least he was in Wisconsin. You don't want to see this become a timeshare for fantasy purposes. But not everything's about fantasy football, obviously. Trey Burton added a rushing touchdown in this game too. Lined up in the backfield. They've been doing that in the red zone. Frank Reich likes to do that. Bring Trey Burton in there. It's like it's 2017 in the Super Bowl against the Patriots all over again. And see if he can run it in. Only maybe not run a Philly special like they did in that Super Bowl. But Phillip Rivers was able to get the W here. Put up 41 points in Detroit. And the Colts are now 5-2. and two. Detroit Lions are 3-4. and four. And the Lions couldn't really get much going on. Kenny Galladay got hurt right before halftime. He had four targets in this game. Didn't catch any of them. It was Marvin Hall who had seven targets. Four for 113. TJ Hawkinson had 10 targets, 7 for 65. And then Marvin Jones, who had two touchdowns in this game, only had three catches, but two of them were for six. Excellent. Seven targets, three for 39 with those two touchdowns as well. They couldn't get anything going on the ground in Detroit. DeAndre Swift 
Six carries for one yard. Adrian Peterson, five for seven. Jamal Agnew, one for 11. So Stafford had to throw the ball. He threw the ball 42 times. Completed 24 of them. 336 yards, three touchdowns, one interception in this game. Colts are the real deal. Came off the bye. Beat up on a team that's subpar at best in the Detroit Lions. But at least they played a real quarterback here. There's a lot of question marks about the Indianapolis Colts with some of the quarterbacks that they played. They didn't necessarily play a lot of high-end type of quarterbacks. There were a lot of rookies and a lot of journeymen and backups. But this was Matt Stafford. They were able to go into his building and beat him pretty soundly. Pretty soundly, maybe I should say. Moving on to the Vikings and the Packers. This one was another upset, an upset that I didn't necessarily articulate in the beginning of this podcast, but the Minnesota Vikings went into Green Bay and beat the Packers 28-22 to on the back of Dalvin Cook, who had 30 carries for 163 yards and three touchdowns, along with two catches for 63 yards and a touchdown, that touchdown being a screen. I necessarily did not see this coming. I thought that Green Bay would establish himself against a inferior team, a team that is coming off of a bye week, division game, so those can be a little weird, but I was like, you know what? I think the Green Bay Packers aren't the Green Bay Packers of 2019. They'll be able to stop the run. I know they didn't really do a great job doing that against Tampa Bay, even though the Packers went down there and got trounced, so there was many different ways they got beat in that game, but maybe they'll do this against an inferior opponent, even if Dalvin Cook said, but I was wrong. I said all last year, on various podcasts. The Packers are frauds. They were the worst 13-3 and team I've ever seen. And then they go in the NFC Championship game and get beat so bad by the San Francisco 49ers. And this year, they're 5-2 and two now. They had the loss to Tampa Bay on the road. Now they just lost at home to the Minnesota Vikings. Not a great sign. These are division games. You can bounce back from them. You still have Aaron Rodgers. It's 27-41, 291, three touchdowns, zero interceptions. But that defense was just letting Dalvin Cook do whatever they wanted. When you think about it, the Green Bay Packers had a draft, selected the future quarterback, presumably, to Aaron Rodgers, who's still in his prime, kind of, <laughs> and a running back that you hardly use, who had 5 for 21 on the ground, 4.2 yards per carry. Looked solid, I guess you could say, doing it. But you could have got defensive players to help bolster the linebacking group and the defensive line. And you didn't. And you let Blake Martinez go. He's a giant now. Thank you. The Packers just couldn't do anything defensively. And as for the Minnesota receiving game, they didn't really have to do that much. It was all Dalvin Cook. Thielen and Jefferson both received four targets. Each caught three of them. Thielen for 27 yards. Jefferson for 26. And for the Green Bay rushing attack, Jamal Williams, 16 for 75. Looks solid running the football. I think Jamal Williams is a very, very good running back for a backup in this game though Packers had to throw the football Devontae Adams 12 targets 7 catches for 53 3 touchdowns you know Devontae Adams he's the best receiver when healthy man him and DeAndre Hopkins those two are just so good when they are fully healthy and hopefully Hopkins can kind of get to full health coming out of the bye because it doesn't really seem like he was fully healthy the last couple weeks despite putting up a lot of fantasy points And then Robert Tunyon had seven targets, caught five of them for 79 yards. Something you want to see from that just gigantic man who plays tight end for them. And Jamal Williams also had six targets, caught all six of them for 27. But behind Devontae Adams, man, at receiver, 
It's not great. It's not great, Bob. Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Equinemia St. Brown, who dropped two passes in this game. Darius Shepard. They desperately need a wide receiver, too. Desperately. It's cool to have a tight end like Tanyan. They use Jay Sternberger, who's another tight end that they drafted a couple years ago at A&M. They like to throw to the running back out of the backfield, but you need another receiver. So towards the end of that game, they were double-teaming Adams. Adams, they weren't allowing Adams to do anything. And I don't know what you're going to do when you get to the playoffs, and good football teams are going to do that because Minnesota's not a good football team. See if the Packers are going to be able to bounce back, though. Minnesota Vikings are now 2-5 and five in this division. And as for the Packers, guess what they get? They get to go to the 49ers, a place that they do not play well <laughs> at, at all in recent memory. And then they play the Jaguars, and then they are at the Colts, and then they get to play the Bears. See if Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers can right this ship. Not sure if they will be able to. At least in terms of winning a Super Bowl. They definitely won't make the playoffs. All right. The Chargers were able to go to Denver and almost win. And then allow the Denver Broncos and Drew Locke to lead a game-winning charge down the field in the end of the fourth quarter to take a one-point lead. 31-30. The Denver Broncos win this game. And they go to 3-4 and four as the Los Angeles Chargers drop to 2-5. and five. Sucks for this franchise that just always loses in crazy ways at the end of the game it's like the Giants almost it's worse than the Giants I feel like Anthony Lynn this happens to him so frequently and Justin Herbert who just plays out of his mind yeah he had two interceptions in this game one of them Mike Williams could have done a better job kind of fighting for the ball maybe even playing defender and the other one it was just it was an interception it happens but Justin Herbert 29 of 43 three touchdowns two interceptions for 278 yards has an absolute rocket attached to his arm Drew Locke 26 of 41 248 yards, three touchdowns, one interception. And it looked like going into this game, going into the fourth quarter, that this was all Los Angeles. Los Angeles was up 24 to 10 in this game. Los Angeles was able to add two field goals in the fourth quarter, but Denver just went rolling. Denver went rolling and scored 21 points in the fourth quarter. And Drew Locke finally turned it on after looking not good at all the first three quarters of this game. Hits Deshaun Hamilton, Albert O, I think it's pronounced Okwegbenam, and also finding KJ Hamler for the game-winning touchdown, well, it was the game-tying touchdown, and then the extra point made it the game-winning, but KJ Hamler for a touchdown as the clock was running out. So Drew Locke just turned it on in the fourth quarter. Got to give it to Philip Lindsay, who had a really nice rushing touchdown in the third quarter, Melvin Gordon. Was 8 for 26, did not look half as good as Philip Lindsay, who was 6 for 83 in this game. The Chargers employed a three-headed rushing attack with Justin Jackson, Josh Kelly, and Tremaine Pope, who took a vicious hit from Kareem Jackson after Kareem Jackson laid a vicious hit on his own teammate in A.J. Boye in this game. And Pope ended up leaving the game because of that, but he was 10 for 67. Justin Jackson was 17 for 89. Josh Kelly was 7 for 32. They're using three running backs in this backfield to help replace Austin Eckler, I guess you could say. But even if Austin Eckler was here, I still think they would be using three running backs. Only probably wouldn't be Pope. And Eckler would have that third down roll, and they wouldn't have to do this awkward, oh, are we going to use Pope or Jackson or Kelly on third down because none of these guys are exactly it in this role. As for Los Angeles receiving, 
Keenan Allen, 9 for 67 for 1. 11 targets. Mike Williams, 5 for 99 and 1 on 8 targets. Jermaine Pope, 7 targets, 5 for 28. And then Gabe Neighbors also had a touchdown. It's definitely a disappointing loss, though, for Los Angeles, especially at the end of the game. The refs didn't even know if K.J. Hamler was in. They ruled him out first, but he was clearly in. And that's just a way you got to hope that Brendan McManus misses that kick. Obviously, McManus doesn't end up missing the kick. And this is a devastating loss in the division in the AFC West. Very, very talented division. Speaking of West, let's go to the NFC West and see the 49ers and the Seahawks, where the Seahawks beat the crap out of the 49ers, but the 49ers were able to make this score respectable because they scored 20 points in the fourth quarter of this game after Jimmy Garoppolo left because he was terrible or injured. I know he went back in the locker room, but it might have been because he was trying to play through injury, but he was 11 for 16 for 84 yards and an interception. And then Nick Mullins came in, was 18 of 25 with two touchdowns, 238 yards, was able to move the football against Seattle. Just seemed like Garoppolo could never get through his reads, and by the time he tried, there were just an exotic blitz from either Bobby Wagner or KJ Wright right in his face from Seattle. And San Francisco couldn't do anything on the ground. Jermichael Hasty, 12-29 for one touchdown. Tevin Coleman had three for 20 before leaving the game with another knee injury. I don't know how serious that is. And Brendan Ayuk and Kendrick Bourne each were able to have pretty respectable days. Ayuk had 11 targets. Kendrick Bourne had 10. Ayuk caught eight of them for 91 yards and a tutty. Kendrick Bourne had eight for 81. And other than that, the San Francisco quarterbacks spread the ball out between the tight ends and the fullbacks. And the running backs. George Kittle was only 2 for 39. He also left with a foot injury. Hopefully he's okay. And then there was uh, Trent Taylor, who was the other wide receiver, who was able to catch three of those passes for 32 yards on four targets. For the Seattle Seahawks, Tyler Lockett didn't have the game that he had last week, but he got five targets, four for 33. And it was the DK Metcalf show, 15 targets, 12 for 161, two touchdowns. David Moore and DJ Dallas each had a touchdown receiving. And DJ Dallas was 18 carries for 41 yards, and a touchdown and relief for the injured Chris Carson, who obviously did not play in this game. This is Chris Carson's role, but that was a really nice showing from the rookie out of Miami, DJ Dallas. 37-27, to respectable-looking score. Made it interesting down the stretch, but this was all Seattle Seahawks who go to 6-1. and San Francisco falls to 4-4 four and four and gets to host the Green Bay Packers next week. And as for Russ, 27-37, to 261 yards, four touchdowns, no interceptions, was sacked twice. Russell Wilson's an absolute beast, has to be in serious consideration for the MVP. I mean, this guy has never been an MVP, hasn't even received an MVP vote, and that is disgusting to think about because he's just so darn good. And finally, we have the Saints and the Bears. There was some fights in this game. This was a rather interesting game, I guess you can say. There was a, uh, we'll, we'll talk about the fight first. So if you guys haven't seen it, look up the fight between Javon Wims, kid they drafted out of Georgia a couple years ago, and Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, kid from Florida. So I don't know what happened to lead up to this, but after a play, Javon Wims goes over to him, taps him like on the chest, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson looks at him, and then Wims just punches him right in the face, jumps back like he's expecting something. Gardner-Johnson just like looks around like, what? And then he punches him again. Hey, you probably shouldn't punch a dude in the face with when you don't have gloves on because you're probably going to hurt your hand. And, I mean, Wims has to be suspended for this. Just a very, very undisciplined play in a close game, too. I mean, the Saints won this game 26-23. to Saints go up to 5-2. and Chicago is now 5-3. and but Janoris Jenkins, former Giant Janoris Jenkins, jumps on the back 
of Javon Wims and just starts fighting with him, causing this huge brawl. And it was just uh, there was a couple brawls like that. There was a there was a mini one in the San Francisco Seattle game. There were there were there were a lot of little brawls going on. There were some in the Denver Chargers game as well. There was interdivision games. You always see stuff like that. But the Saints, this was an OT game. Drew Brees, 31 of 41, 280 yards, two touchdowns. Alvin Kamara, 12 of 67, 12 carries, 67 yards on the ground. He had 13 targets, nine catches for 96 yards. Did not get in the end zone, but obviously was utilized. Like he always is because he is one of the best players in the National Football League. Latavius Murray also gets his carries at 8 for 17. Pretty inefficient with the carries. Drew Brees just spread the ball out through all these receivers because he's down Emmanuel Sanders. He did not have Michael Thomas. So he had to use Tommy Lee Lewis and Juwan Johnson and Austin Carr and Deontay Harris. Traquan Smith, who is a name that we know a little bit better than some of those other ones. But the Saints were able to hold on here. Obviously went to overtime in this game. They kicked the field goal to win this game. Chicago was able to drive the football down the field to score towards the end of the game to force this overtime. Both teams possessed the ball in overtime, but Chicago just couldn't do enough with their possession. The Saints defense kind of stepped up and was able to sack Nick Foles, force Nick Foles into some errant passes. Foles was 28-41, 272, two touchdowns and one interception on this game. David Montgomery, 21 carries, 89 yards. Allen Robinson, 7 targets, 6 for 87, 1 touchdown. Darnell Mooney, 6 targets, 5 for 69, 1 touchdown. Anthony Miller, 11 targets, 8 for 73, 0 touchdowns. And Jimmy Graham was 2 for 13 on 7 targets. That's not necessarily great. That kind of stuff will happen, though, especially when you're getting up there in age. So the Chicago Bears, 5-3, New Orleans Saints, 5-2. Alrighty, everybody, that is the quick breakdown of the slate. Like I said, as of right now, Sunday Night Football is going on, so we'll not be going over those games. And the New York Giants, can't wait to watch them on Monday Night Football, even though it might be a pretty bad game because you're going up against Tom Brady, the GOAT. But who knows? Anything can happen in the National Football League. Thank you so much for listening to Falato on Football on Big Blue View Radio. And please have a lovely, lovely, lovely day, night, or afternoon. Take care.